Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. You're listening to Rebuttal with Trez Quinn, and I'm your host, Trez Quinn. We have a fantastic show today. We have some interesting cases to discuss in our legal brief segment. In our For Your Knowledge segment, we discuss mental disabilities under the Americans with Disabilities Act in terms of employment discrimination. We have Courtney Logan here for our sidebar segment. Courtney is the Vice President of Government Relations and General Counsel at Blue Line and Associates. Courtney is a very talented and interesting person. I'm looking forward to the interview. So let's get started. A federal judge in Brooklyn, New York, awarded statutory damages of $6.7 million to 21 graffiti artists in a suit that contended a building owner violated federal law when he painted over their artwork. Now, the U.S. District Judge ruled that 45 works of graffiti art on warehouses in Borough, Queens, were protected under the Visual Artists' Rights Act because of their recognized stature. It was reported that this decision was the first to find that graffiti and graffiti artists were protected by the Visual Arts Rights Act. This act amends copyright law to give artists the right to attribution and integrity of their visual work. It says that the right to integrity includes a right to prevent any destruction of a work of recognized stature and any intentional or grossly negligent destruction of that work is a violation of that right. Now, one exception provides that unremovable works of art incorporated on a building are not protected if the artist waives his or her rights in writing signed by both the artist and the building owner. Now, in this case, there was no such writing. So this is a very uh, interesting um, uh, act, uh, understanding that you have a building, someone paints or uh, puts graffiti on it, and you somehow have to preserve that graffiti uh, or risk being sued, what it sounds like. Uh, the case, though, has another uh, chapter to it. And so the suit against the building owner, first of all, it sought to stop him from tearing down the warehouses to build high-rise luxury condos. Now, although the building owner did not sell the art, he indirectly profited when the value of his site increased from $40 million to $200 million. He also made hundreds of thousands of dollars by charging licensing fees to film at the site. And to make matters worse for the building owner, in November of 2013, the judge denied a request for a preliminary injunction and promised to issue an opinion eight days later. However, instead of waiting For the court's opinion, the building owner took it upon himself to destroy almost all of the plaintiff's paintings by whitewashing them during the eight-day interim. So he kind of made it easy for uh, the court to come down on him uh, pretty hard. The next case involves a dairy company. A dairy company in Maine agreed to pay $5 million to its driver's after a federal appeals court last year found ambiguity in a state overtime law because it lacked an Oxford comma. So the First Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that the uncertain meaning 
of an exception in the overtime law made it unclear whether it applied to workers involved in only the distribution of food. So as a result, the court interpreted the law in favor of the drivers. Now, the statute provided that the workers were not entitled to overtime if their jobs involved, quote, the canning, processing, preserving, freezing, drying, marketing, storing, packing for shipment or distribution of agricultural produce, meat and fish products, and perishable foods. Now, in between those items, the canning, processing, preserving, freezing, drying, marketing, storing, there were commas, okay? The phrase packing for shipment or distribution did not include a comma. So the issue was whether the phrase packing for shipment or distribution was one activity involving packing, which meant the drivers were entitled to overtime pay because they didn't pack food, or two separate activities, which meant distribution workers were not would not be entitled to overtime. Now, if there had been a comma after the word shipment, then it would have been clear that the distribution was a separate activity and the drivers would not be entitled to overtime. The statute has since been re- revised to include not commas, but I mean, semicolons to make it clear that these are separate items. The sponsor of the revision uh, says that it was intended to make clear that the distribution of certain foods is exempt from the law governing overtime pay. So the moral of the story, please include your commas where necessary. The next case is a Seventh Circuit um, court case, federal court case, appeals court. And the Seventh Circuit uh, found that Starbucks was not liable and not responsible for a three-year-old boy's loss of a finger um, at one of its stores in Chicago, finding his parents had failed to properly supervise him. Okay. Uh, In Illinois, um, a couple went to a newly opened Starbucks store in Chicago, joined by their two younger sons. The store had been uh, outfitted with these freestanding metal stanchions connected by ropes to to assist with the direct flow of the customers. Now, the stanchions also had these heavy concrete bases to them to prevent them from toppling over. Now, according to the staff, and later, the testimony of the uh, the boys, they started playing on these stanchions, sitting and swinging on the ropes, and one of the stanchions uh, was knocked to the ground, crashing onto one of the boys' hand. Uh, the doctors, unfortunately, was not able to save uh, the boy's middle finger and had to amputate it. The parents filed suit in an Illinois state court that same year, alleging that Starbucks had been negligent and failing to safely maintain his premises, adequately secure, secure the stanchion, properly inspect it to ensure its stability, and warn visitors of the potential danger. On appeal, the family also argued that it was not aware of the danger posed by the stanchions and their risk of falling, meaning they could not have exercised due care to prevent the child's injuries. However, The court did not buy that argument 
and they pointed to Illinois case law, which established that it was not necessary for the parents to foresee a particular injury, but that it was merely a matter of common sense to supervise young kids and foresee that they could be injured playing around heavy or sharp objects. It's an unfortunate um, case uh, for the uh, child who lost a finger. Uh, hopefully uh, he's okay. The next case involved a second uh, circuit federal uh, court appeals case who said that corrections officers at an upstate New York jail had a constitutional right to keep their medical records private, even though they did not suffer from any conditions that would have been stigmatizing if revealed. The court ruled unanimously um, on the issue and revived claims by the three officers who accused the county's former sheriff of unlawfully viewing their medical records to determine if they had complied with sick leave policies. The court reversed the federal judge who said that people only have a right to medical privacy under the 14th Amendment when disclosure of their medical records could expose them to discrimination. Well, I think that's a that's a problem with that ruling. And uh, thank goodness the circuit court, uh, the appellate court agrees with that. And the panel uh, in the in the appellate court stated that limiting privacy rights to individuals with stigmatizing conditions would have absurd results and would turn the 14th Amendment on its head. The court went on to state that it would be as if the First Amendment allowed a particular person to speak only if they could show they have something worth saying. I think that's a great point. The court distinguished um, a prior 2011 court decision uh, second, cir second Circuit Court decision in the case of Matson versus the Board of Education that involved a music teacher who said a school board uh, violated her 14th Amendment rights by publicly disclosing parts of her medical records. Now, in the Matson case, the court said the strength of a person's privacy interest in their medical records hinges on the seriousness of the condition and the stigma associated with it. In this particular uh, instance, the court was able to distinguish that case and stated that that case only stood for the proposition that a weak privacy interest could be trumped if the government provided a compelling reason for viewing or disclosing medical records. So I, I think... You know, with all the privacy laws that are out there and uh, HIPAA especially, uh, we definitely have to be cognizant and companies have to be cognizant of uh, these type of things. And so uh, I think the court got it right. The next uh, case in involving entertainment news is a case of Meryl Streep. She's filed a uh, application uh, with the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office and she's wanting to trademark her name for entertainment services, movie appearances, speaking engagements, and, as well as uh, autographs. Uh, it's not clear, according to Reuters, uh, why Streak would file a trademark application at this stage in her career. But nonetheless, many celebrities trademark their names. Um, according to the patent office, 
Taylor Swift has filed some 60 trademark applications in the last 10 years, according uh, to this uh, article uh, by Reuters. So um, good luck to Meryl Streep in uh, getting her application approved. Uh, maybe I should trademark my name. Uh, probably not. So we'll be right back in uh, about 60 seconds. Uh, we'll start our second segment for your knowledge where we discuss mental disabilities under Americans with Disabilities Act. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Now we're going to discuss in our For Your Knowledge segment uh, mental disabilities under the Americans with Disabilities Act. Now, the Americans with Disabilities Act of 1990, also um, called the ADA, makes it unlawful to discriminate in employment against a qualified individual with a disability. Now, the ADA outlaws discrimination against individuals with disabilities in state and local government services, transportation, public accommodations, and telecommunications. Job discrimination against people with disabilities is illegal if practiced by private employers, state and local governments, labor organizations, labor management committees, and employment agencies. Now, employment practices covered under the ADA include such practices as recruitment, pay, hiring, firing, promotion, job assignments, training, leave, layoffs, benefits, and other employment-related activities. Mental disabilities are protected under the ADA. Title I, for example, of the ADA protects qualified individuals with disabilities from employment discrimination. According to federal regulations at 29 CFR section 1630.2, uh, the term qualified with respect to an individual with a disability means that the individual satisfies the requisite skill, experience, education, and other job-related requirements of the employment position such individual holds or desires and with or without reasonable accommodation can perform the essential functions of such position. Essential functions. 
are defined as, in general, it means the fundamental job duties of the employment position the individual with a disability holds or desires. The term essential functions does not include the marginal functions of the position. A person has a disability if that person has a physical or mental impairment that substantially limits a major life activity. According to the Code of Federal Regulations, major life activities in general include but are not limited to caring for oneself, performing manual tasks, seeing, hearing, eating, sleeping, walking, standing, sitting, reaching, lifting, bending, speaking, breathing, learning, reading, concentrating, thinking, communicating, interacting with others, and working. For a mental condition to be covered under the ADA, meaning of a disability, two things have to be present. Number one, a mental impairment that, number two, substantially limits one or more major life activities. Now, whether a, uh, whether a mental impairment substantially limits one or more major, like, major life activities is determined on a case-by-case -case basis. For example, depression has been recognized by the courts as a disability within the meaning of the ADA, provided that the ADA's disability definition is met. However, common personality traits do not constitute an impairment under the ADA, such as impatience, anger, having a short temper, being irritable, or arrogant. Furthermore, the ADA does not protect people from the general stresses of the workplace. For this reason, employers may have to be diligent in determining whether the ADA applies in certain workplace uh, situations and circumstances. Oftentimes, it's very apparent whether a person is of a certain race, gender, national origin, or age that is alleged to be the basis of the discrimination. However, it's less apparent whether a person's mental state or condition constitute a mental impairment within the meaning of the ADA. That said, companies can enforce disciplinary rules against misconduct and apply those rules to disabled persons. If the employer prohibits such conduct to all employees and the rule and the, or the policy is job-related, and consistent with the purposes of the job. Now, courts have ruled that disruptive and violent behavior in the workplace is not protected under the ADA. In the Schutz versus Bentley Nevada Corporation, a District of Nevada federal court case, the plaintiff was fired from his job after his employer learned that he had pistol whipped and threatened to kill another man outside the workplace. The plaintiff filed suit under the ADA, claiming that he assaulted the man because of his own depression and therefore 
His termination constituted disability discrimination. The court concluded that even if the plaintiff suffered from a qualifying ADA disability and the defendant knew of his disability at the time they fired him, the plaintiff's criminal acts of violence justified the defendant's termination of his employment without any doubt whatsoever. The court went on to state that the ADA did not protect the plaintiff from the consequences of his violent rage. In conclusion, the Americans with Disabilities Act makes it unlawful to discriminate against a qualified person with a disability. A mental condition can be a disability within the meaning of the ADA. Companies must be knowledgeable of the ADA's criteria for mental disabilities and must be diligent in determining whether the ADA can potentially apply to a set of facts in the workplace. Thank you. We'll be right back with our interview with Courtney Logan and Sidebar. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we have uh, Courtney Logan here in our sidebar segment. Uh, Courtney is, a, as I stated earlier, a very uh, talented young attorney um, and an interesting person. And actually, he's uh, more than an attorney, as you'll find out. Hey, Courtney, how's it going? Going well, man. Uh, thanks for having me on today. I really yeah. appreciate it. Well, well, I'm glad you could make it. Uh, it's always a pleasure uh, uh, speaking with you. And uh, glad that you decided to uh, join me today. Oh, no problem. So, so Courtney, you are um, originally from uh, East St. Louis, is that correct? That is right. All born right. and raised. Born, born and breathed. Yes. Okay. Flyers flying high. Okay, so you, you so you went to East St. Louis in your high school. That's exactly right. Okay. The and only high school in East right. St. Louis, right? Right. Well, you're a member of one of those championship football teams? Unfortunately, I missed those days. Okay, okay, okay. Great, 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 great. But but you did play football, didn't you? I did. I did. I played football for um, Coach Sunkett. Uh, for four years um, at East St. Louis in your high school. Had a, had a great time. Uh, we lost our senior year in a in – Semifinals to the state champion. We went eleven and one that year. Oh, but but the question is, uh, did you get on the field? Yes, I played. <laughs> <laughs> I was not a bench rider. Okay, I actually okay. played football. Got a scholarship, so I think I, I think I did okay. Yeah, that, that's wonderful. So you uh, speaking of that, uh, where did you uh, uh, go to undergrad and? So, Where'd you get your scholarship? Sure, I, I got a scholarship to play football at McKendree University um, in Lebanon, Illinois. It's about 15 minutes from East St. Louis. 
Um, it's actually the oldest college in the state of Illinois. A little history for you today. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I didn't know that. Yes. I didn't know that. How was that experience? Uh, it was great. It was great. Um, it's, it's definitely a culture shock. You know, it was um, predominantly white university. So coming from East St. Louis, that's 99% black. Going from a high school that's 99% black um, to a predominantly white institution um, for upper upper graduate, you know, education or undergraduate education was definitely a culture shock, but it was very, very life altering for me um, and very positive. So when you say cultural shock, explain, what, what do you mean by that? Sure, just, um, you know, intermixing with other races, um, other dynamics, um, other backgrounds, um, it's, it's just different, you know, it's not different in a bad way, but it is different and it takes time to uh, basically, you know, integrate those thoughts and ideas together. Um, and those different cultures. Right? Yeah, and those different, that's exactly right. Um, and it's just different, like I said, it's, it's just different. You know, more and, and you know, the interesting thing is uh, when, when you say that, um, you were at McKendree uh, probably in the early 2000s, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, early 2000s, you would think that uh, in the early 2000s, we wouldn't be having these conversations still, but... <laughs> You know, but it we, is. we are. Yeah, it's it's just a reality. We are. Yeah. So but it sounds like you were able to um, uh, do well uh, at McKendree. Yes. Uh, did you and you graduated from McKendree, correct? I, I did. I graduated in 2008 from McKendree. Right. Here, here's a funny story. I don't know if you remember this. Actually, I totally forgot about this uh, until now. Uh, you know, I used to teach a, um, a uh, course at McKendree right. called Nursing and the Law. And uh, I remember being called by the HR person. I forget her name. I uh, forgot her name too. Right now, I'm, I'm starting. You're starting to jog my memory a little bit. Right, right. So she she called me uh, and wanted to talk to me about something, and so I called her back, and she said, "You know, I have this very, very, very um, uh, inspired a student. Uh, I want you to talk to, and he's thinking about going to law school, and I think he'll do well as a lawyer." His name is Courtney Logan. <laughs> He's working at, he works at a Jared's right now in Fairview Heights. So. You remember that? I remember. Okay. So I, I can't remember if we ever, I, I think we connected. Maybe like once. Yeah, after that. Yeah. But you know, uh, you know what they say, life uh, always uh, goes full circle. That's exactly right. uh, and so at that time you were thinking, you weren't 100% sure if you wanted to go to law school, is that right? That's exactly right, yeah. I didn't know if I wanted to go to law school. Actually, I went to I went to college to major in computer science because my cousin and my brother were, in my opinion, the most successful people in my family. Um, and they were both computer scientists. They had graduated from Tennessee State University. So I went to do computers. That's what I had did all my high school career. I was really good at it. Um, and I got to college and understood that programming was not for me. My brain was <laughs> not, not set up to do programming. So push kind of shove, I, I, I stopped doing the computer classes. I started doing more speaking-oriented classes and critical thinking classes like argumentative communication. Got on a debate team. I got on the debate team, um, had some successes. We won a few national championships, and that's what kind of inspired me to go to law school. Oh, that's fantastic. And so uh, what law, sc law school did you choose? Um, St. Louis University School of Law chose me. 
Okay. okay. They chose you, but you, of course you had to apply, That's right? That's exactly right. So, I mean, why SLU? Why, I mean, did you apply anywhere else? or was I it did. Just... I did. It's, it's, an, it's a really unique story. I, I actually applied to 17 law schools. And, 17? And got denied to 16 of those law schools. Come on now. Come on. Are you serious? I'm very serious. That's why I say SLU chose me. <laughs> okay. Um, because, you know, sometimes I, I really do believe in divine intervention. There, There is a reason why God was kind of making my path very narrow. And okay. now looking back, I can see it, you know, just based on some of my um, legal experience and some of the opportunities I've had, you know, I, I believe if I wasn't in this market or in this area, I probably wouldn't have the same level of opportunity that I had. So Yeah, I mean, that, that's, uh, that sounds, that's wonderful. So, so you did uh, graduate from uh, SLU Law School, is that right? I did. I did. And what did you do um, right after law school? Um, after law school, I went and became a prosecutor at St. Clair County State's Attorney's Office, okay. working for Brendan Kelly. Oh, did you like doing that kind I, of work? I actually, I loved it. You know, um, they, you know, one thing they say is the the fastest way to make God smile is telling plans for your own life. Right. Uh, when I went into law school, I told myself that I would not do criminal law. It was the one thing. <laughs> it was the one criteria that I had set on my life. Right. It's sort of like family for me. That's, but, yeah, that's but go ahead. Exactly. But, but go ahead. Yeah. And so I, I told myself I wasn't going to do it. So all of my internships, all of my classes were always civil litigation focused. And in fact, I graduated with a civil litigation certificate. Um, and my first job outside of law school was being a prosecutor in criminal law. So yeah. I had the last laugh again. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> so did you get a chance to try any uh, cases? I did. I did. I, I had an opportunity to try uh, multiple cases to jury verdict and a lot of bench trials. Um, really great hands-on experience that kind of laid my legal foundation. That's great. So you you did that for how long did you work for uh, the uh, state's attorney's office? I think I worked there a little under a year um, before I transitioned to um, the first law firm that I worked for. Okay, and that was in Edwardsville, right? Yeah, that was at Hyle Rushner in Edwardsville. Yeah. Well, here's another funny story. So, <laughs> <laughs> so at that time, I also worked at a uh, law firm um, in Edwardsville that happened to be right across the parking lot from uh, Mr. Logan here in. Uh, he would uh, send me uh, texts and emails like at one in the morning and take a picture of my parking spot and ask me, where are you? <laughs> and I'm thinking like, this 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 guy is crazy. <laughs> so anyway, and so at uh, at Highland, you worked in asbestos, is that right? I did, I did asbestos litigation. Okay. So a lot of depositions, a lot of travel. And uh, did you like that? Um, I, I think, um, you know, it's it's almost comparing apples to oranges if I talk about that compared to the state's attorney's job. Right. Um, I think for, from a, um, from a deposition standpoint, it was phenomenal experience because I was able to travel around and get a lot of a lot of deposition experience. I think mm -hmm. I probably did, you know, upwards of a hundred depositions while I was there, maybe more, right. um, because that was the primary focus of, of my practice there. Um, so from that standpoint, it was good. From a in court, you know, civil litigation standpoint, I just thought it, there might have been more opportunities out there for me to enhance those skills. Right, and uh, at one at some point. I think right after that, you you ended up uh, as the city manager of the city of East St. Louis. That's exactly right. And tell us how that transpired. You know, um, I don't know. Sometimes <laughs> uh, <laughs> it wasn't on the roadmap. You know, it just wasn't something that was like out there that I was like working towards, right? Or had it in you know kind of in my focus. You know, and that's how life works. Sometimes, you know, the window of opportunity opens quick and it closes fast. That's and, right. 
um, you know, the opportunity kind of availed itself. Um, I was in an interesting place with my firm um, and I was I was asked about the opportunity and I um, I evaluated it. I talked to my wife about it. And the funny thing, you know, I went home and told my wife and she said, and I was like, what do you think? And every time I tell her that, she says she tells me the same thing. Like she's never any help. She says, "What did God say? <laughs> right, what is right. God telling you?" Of like, course, of course. And I was like, "Well, I think think God is leading me to go back and help the people be single." She was like, "Why are you asking people then? Go do it." So well, that's what well, we're not going to mention that you asked me about it. So don't don't tell the people what I said. So and so we'll move on from that. But <laughs> so but it sounds like uh, you had a pretty. Uh, I think great experience uh, as a city manager, didn't you? Yeah, it was it was a great opportunity to go back and help a lot of people, and um, I was very happy about the work that we were able to accomplish together. Right, and uh, you did that for about a year, right? A year and a half, yeah. And from that, a very interesting opportunity uh, happened for you. Tell tell us about that. Um, I was working as city manager. I um, there was a um, gentleman by the name of Mark Hutchinson. Um, who is the CEO and founder of Blue Line Solutions, Blue Line Innovations, and Blue Line Associates. Um, he was trying to do business in the city. We, we had some lunches and some dinners, um, and we kept in contact. Um, and, you know, he basically approached me about being his general counsel and vice president of government relations for his, his company. And, um, you know, basically made me an offer I couldn't refuse, and I didn't. So tell us about Blue Line Technology. What, what's, what's the company and, and what's your role there? Sure. So Blue Line, Blue Line. So there's three separate entities. I work for Blue Line and Associates, which is the parent company of Blue Line Solutions and Blue Line Innovations. Um, Blue Line Solutions is a photo speed enforcement co company where we operate um, all over the country. We, we have um, primarily in about two or three states, um, but expanding pretty rapidly. I think the company has grown 300 percent year over year mm -hmm. for the last three years. Um, so it's it's basically in the space of photo speed enforcement, automated photo speed enforcement. We have handheld um, photo speed enforcement devices that we, um, you know, work with the eight different agencies across the country to work for. Um, Blue Line Innovations is a more um, newer company and very exciting opportunity um, where we've launched the first 360 degree body camera for law enforcement. Um, we have 21 patents on the device and it has been well received by the law enforcement space. Um, we have taken a 360 body camera and, and now it's been retrofitted to a ride helmet. It's been retrofitted to a SWAT helmet, a motor officer's helmet, canine vest, um, and we have 360 surveillance technology where we're working with municipalities, schools, <laughs> churches for surveillance equipment, for 360 degree surveillance equipment as well. So what was it about or what is it about Blue Line Technologies that attracted you to, attracted you to that company, and I'm not talking. I'm asking you about money, sure. other than money. Sure. Well, you know, I've always um, I've always liked to build. Um, I've, I have an entrepreneurial spirit, I believe, and I think that's one of the reasons that I was drawn to the mayor um, of East St. Louis. She had a great vision for what she saw the city to be, and I felt like Mark had a great vision for his company. Um, and the the great work that they're doing throughout the country, you know, helping um, reduce fatalities, reduce, um, you know, just just overall from from a from a statistical standpoint, 
Um, the photo speed enforcement business is literally slowing people down and saving lives. And then from an innovative standpoint, the technology side that is always innovating um, and ever changing to be on the forefront of bringing technology to the law enforcement space that can increase transparency and credibility for officers and safety overall. Um, I thought having an opportunity to be on the ground floor of such a an amazing opportunity would be great. So that's why I was drawn to the Blue Line Group. <laughs> so, so with regard to uh, the photo enforcement, as you know, in, in recent years, it's been a topic of debate. Sure. Constitutionality of, uh, you know, red light cameras and those types of things. Sure. Um, what, what, what challenges do you see the company facing with regard to uh, some of the rulings in some states that, that have ruled that those uh, photo enforcement cameras are unconstitutional well you know the law is the law right and we we all know that sometimes law can be subjective and it's based on who's sitting and making the rulings i mean we can look back to the some supreme court rulings which i won't mention um that that have ruled certain ways so but there are states that 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 have found that photo speed enforcement itself is unconstitutional we don't do business in those states we work with the states that you know have um, law that allows photo speed enforcement and we work with states that don't have laws at all to help them craft laws um, in order to increase the safety um, of the roads to make sure motorists go home safely you know believe it or not we're actually working on new technology for distracted driving you know it's it's actually becoming more deadlier than speeding itself because you have a lot of millennials out there on their cell phones texting and not just millennials but you have older adults and a lot of people just you know working from their car while they're driving and distracted driving has become um, a very very um, hot topic for a lot of people um, and agencies across the country because they don't know how to enforce it. We actually have a handheld device that actually can enforce distracted driving. So um, even though we're in the photo speed enforcement space, we're, we're still evolving our technology and our offerings in order to make sure that we are, we are filling gaps and voids um, for these police agencies all over the country. So, so with, with regard, though, to the, um, the cameras, uh, the 360 degree cameras, why do you think it's important for law enforcement uh, officers uh, to have these cameras? I believe that um, every every scene that we look at, you know, every time there's an officer involved shooting or accident, um, what do we get? We get disjointed cell phone footage from a lot of different people from a lot of different angles, right? Um, right now, currently in the market, what we have is forward-facing traditional body cameras, right? They only see a certain amount of the incident. We believe that given our 360 technology, we're able to capture the entire event. Um, there's nothing left out, right? So now if an officer has to turn, right, and draw his weapon or maybe, um, you know, approach a suspect that's behind him, um, currently in a status quo, if that suspect had threw a rock or had, you know, hit the officer from behind, you'll never capture that footage on a body camera, right? We have the first body camera in the entire world that can actually see behind the officer, that can see the peripheral view of the officer, that can see the face of the officer. So when we're at trial or officer has to go to trial to defend his actions in a particular scene, right? Um, now we're able to see the officer's face. He said he feared for his life. Well, why is he smiling? We don't have that type of footage right now based on the traditional cameras that exist in the market. So this camera, we believe, that's why we say increases transparency, because we're able to just see more, right? Um, right. The more you're able to see, we believe the more 
the better picture it can paint. And there is nothing like an unbiased witness. You know, and I know we both have been at trial. Um, we've both had these the all types of cases. The most credible witness is the one that has nothing to lose. That's what we believe the 360 body camera is. So you're saying there's a benefit not only for the officers wearing the cameras, but also for the citizens. That's exactly right. right. We keep everybody we keep everybody honest. So do you see yourself going back to trial practice? Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't foresee it in my in my near future. I believe that I'm with a um, a great company that's growing rapidly, um, and I I do enjoy. Um, one mission and one vision. Um, I think at the law firm, you know, we have multiple visions and um, we're protecting multiple interests. Um, I have really enjoyed um, having the opportunity to press one mission forward, right, and push toward one goal. Um, even though there are smaller issues embedded underneath um, the surface, um, so currently I don't see myself going anywhere. I, I really enjoy the work that I'm doing, and I, I think we're building a great company. And I like having the opportunity to have input on how this company grows. So where do you see yourself in 10 years? Hopefully on a beach somewhere. <laughs> well, well, After we sold the company. Anything is possible, I guess. <laughs> anything is possible, but 10 years, okay. Never know. Yeah, you never know. So Courtney, it's uh, been great man, speaking with you as always. My pleasure. Uh, man. Pleasure. Um, I have a couple more questions. These are called versus questions. Okay. You have to pick one. Sure. Okay, and I may just ask you why. So the first question is this, dog or cat? Dog. Pancake or waffle? Waffle. Android or iPhone? We only do smartphones, iPhone. <laughs> okay, I got you. Phone call or text? Phone call. Yeah, yeah, I have to agree with you on that. I, I'm probably borderline, I'm right outside of a millennial, so I guess I'm in the, uh, I guess Generation X, and I would rather pick up a phone call. Last question, knowledge or imagination? Imagination. Why? Because knowledge is only based on information that's already preceded us. Imagination is how we're going to get to the next level. Courtney, it's been a pleasure. Hopefully you'll come back. If you invite me, I'll be. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Thank you, ma'am. Thanks for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, if you have any suggestions, uh, recommendations, comments, criticisms, uh, shoot me a text or email. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. That's uh, Untrez Quinn. Or you can tweet me at Untrez Quinn at Gifted Product on Twitter. Also, don't forget, be safe out there and enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks. Mm -hmm.